Evangelism and discipleship. Those who've been around me for any period of time know that very quickly after my conversion, I was moved by the Spirit of God in places where I was discipled very definitely, very determinately. And it was just a, a blessing for me. And I thought, this is, this is the way church is and the way church is supposed to be. And, and I thought it was. The, of course, the funny thing was that all this was happening to me outside of my local church. Because none of it was being done in the local church that I was a part of at the time of my conversion. And then as I continued to grow and God called me in the ministry and then I ended up pastoring churches, I was surprised. I I honestly was surprised to, to move to a new church and a new church field and find out that evangelism and discipleship were not part of the vocabulary. It was, we're going to just do stuff the way we've been doing it. Well, why are you doing it that way? Because we've always done it that way. One of my favorite early stories, and I apologize for those who've been here. You hear these stories over and over. My prayer is as you get older and your memory gets bad, then you won't remember them. and I can tell them again. They'll be fresh. (laughs) But the first church I pastored was Kingsburg Baptist Church. Our chairman of deacons, Olin Marsh, was one of the most precious, precious men of God you could ever meet in your whole life. He loved God. He loved his family. He loved our church. And every Sunday morning, he would come early to the church, depending on the time of year, and he would set the thermostats, and he would get everything ready for us to have service. And one of the things that he would do is in the auditorium because back in those days, for those who know nothing about this, we would have an assembly before Sunday school. And everybody would come and assemble, and then we'd be dismissed to Sunday school. And so he would prepare the auditorium by putting a small lectern and a chair beside the lectern in front of the auditorium every Sunday morning. I would like to think I'm a little more intelligent than sometimes I might be, but... It took me a while to figure out there's a chair he puts there every Sunday and nobody's ever sat in that chair. So I went to him. I said, Mr. Olin, why is it that every Sunday morning when you set things up for assembly, you put a chair beside the lectern? And his answer was, we've always put a chair there by the lectern. I said, but nobody's ever sat in it. He said, I know that, but we've always put that chair there. We have to understand, I was a little mischievous at the time, and so I would wait on Sunday morning for him to come and set it all up. And then I'd go to the building, and I'd take the chair and hide it. (laughs) And every Sunday morning when I came back for assembly, the chair would be there. Because he searched it out, found it, and put it back. And when I left there, the chair was still at the front of the auditorium for assembly on Sunday morning with nobody sitting in it. The point I'm sadly making is, and this was a precious man of God who loved God. It wasn't someone who was being rebellious. He was just doing what he had learned and been taught to do and thought was expected to do. And how often it is for us in church life that we are the same way. 
And we miss it completely and totally because we're about trying to keep our stuff going, not his. That's why when there are times, as we had a few moments ago, where some folks come earlier in the, during the music time, and then as we did this exercise a few minutes ago, where people just, we just fall down before God. God, what do you want? It's about you. How do you want to do this? And, and then how God wants to lead us into doing that. And so the very familiar scripture that I'm going to give you, I'm giving you three portions of scripture that are so familiar but so necessary, I believe, as we do this. It's the word and the work. How does this play out in our everyday experience? Not just for us as we assemble it here as we are right now, but how does it play out for us as we do life every day? Because that's where it, the rubber meets the road, as it were. So the first one is the great command. What is the great command in Scripture? You all know it. It's in Matthew 22. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So let me ask you a question. Do you today, sitting here, believe or know that you love God? That was not rhetorical. Do you love God? Let me rephrase my question. Do you love God? Thank you. Now here's the litmus test. The way you know you love him, Bill said it earlier, is when you obey him. That's how you know. And I got to tell you, Having been at this for a while now, it amazes me how many people have known Christ for some time and they say they can't hear from God. Well, yes, you can. In fact, he so lovingly wrote us 66 love letters to help us hear from him. And then he also gave us the Holy Spirit of God who inspired the writing of the word to interpret that word for us and then to give us the application of that word in our lives every day. But again, I think we live with some misconceptions about what it means to love God and obey him. We're looking for... Well, maybe not all of us, but some are looking for that great thing I can do for God that would just oh, make me precious in his sight. How many of you in here have children? How many have grandchildren? How many have great-grandchildren? That's cool. Okay. I'm working on that one, just so you know. Not in a hurry, but I'm working on it. Years ago, we had a gentleman who was a difficult person to reach. His wife loved God. She was involved in our church. And I would go by periodically and just sit down with him and share the gospel. And every time, I would basically get nowhere. 
And one day as we were talking, God, I'm going to give God the credit because it was a good idea to say to him, because he had one child, one daughter, whom he loved dearly. You could tell in our conversation his issue was that he somehow had been led to believe that he wasn't good enough for God. And so I asked him about his daughter. I said, do you love your daughter? Of course I love my daughter. Well, has your daughter, and by the way, she was an amazing young woman, has your daughter ever ever done anything that you didn't like what she did? He said, of course she did. I said, well, did you quit loving her? He said, well, of course I didn't. Ding! Our Father loves us. And he gives us the privilege and opportunity to love him back with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul. That's, that's the great command. And how precious it is because in Romans 5, 5, it says the Holy Spirit of God has put the love of God in our hearts so that that love can be shed abroad. In other words, it isn't just for us to get it and feel good and warm and fuzzy, but it's in us by the power of the Holy Spirit to be shed abroad so that others can be touched by his love. And you'll see how that flows in just a moment as we move to another portion of Scripture. But this thing about obeying God... I I guess sometimes it's it's not funny. I'm not sure why I'm even laughing, but how people are asking God, asking God, God, what do you want me to do? 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 And as a friend of mine once said, maybe the reason you haven't heard a new answer from God is because he hadn't changed his mind. And he's waiting on you to do what he's already told you and given you to do. Well, guess what? The things that we know he has told us to do is to spend time in his word. We know he's told us to spend time in prayer. And we'll get so busy. Well, God, you know, I just want you to tell me what you want me to do because I really don't have time for your word and I really don't have time for prayer. And oh, by the way, yeah, I will go to church occasionally just to, you know, put in my appearances. When he says that we're to be, well, I'll tell you what. Take your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2. Kind of give you an overview of how this actually works. And we see it work out in the early church. Beginning in verse 37 of Acts chapter 2. Now, when they heard this, they were the people in Jerusalem. And what they heard was that they (laughs) were guilty of killing the Christ. That's a serious indictment. But it's exactly what happened. And Peter tells them that. And it says they were pierced to the heart. And that word pierced over the years, it, it has a, a kind of a unique meaning, meaning that it, it, it means an impact. In fact, it, it has its origin from the impact of the hoof of a horse. Pierce, bam, it hit him. 
It hit them so hard that it penetrated their hearts. And their response was, brethren, what shall we do? Now, we're going to get into evangelism in just a moment, but we need to understand that it is the Holy Spirit of God who brings about the new birth. We're the messengers. We're the examples. But it's the Holy Spirit of God that brings new birth. And that's what's happened here on this day of Pentecost. And they're so convicted. They want to know, what are we to do? And notice what Peter says. Repent. Repent means I've been going in this direction. And now I've changed and I'm going back a 180 degree turn. And each of you to be baptized as we saw earlier. Is that not sweet? Thank you so much for sharing that with us today. And be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What an amazing God we have. He loves us so desperately. He wants to forgive us. He wants us to be restored to that relationship that he designed for us before creation. And now his son has made that possible. And now the Holy Spirit brings that to full fruition. But notice as this is taking place. And these folks are now coming to that realization of who Christ is, what he's done, and how they can be now transformed by that. It goes on and says, that day when they were added to the kingdom of God, listen to what it says. This will help you. Verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. You do know that they did not have the written word at that juncture. And so they were having to depend upon the verbal communication of the apostles and the teachers to give the truth. And they did. And they continued in fellowship. Tells us in Hebrews not to forsake the assembling together as is the matter of some. Find the place that God has for you. If this is a place God has for you, then be here. If this is not the place he has someplace else for you, then be there. Wherever it is that God has for you, be there. And the breaking of bread and prayer. They were identifying with the body of Christ, his sacrifice. They were identifying with one another, and they were continuing in prayer. Those are just basic ingredients if you want to call that of the faith basic disciplines of the faith and this is what's happening and this is what happens because we love him with all our heart mind and soul jesus said john 14 if you love me you'll obey me i love how one writer says it we obey him when the spirit of god says prayer and the flesh says sleep We obey him when our appetites are for the things of God and not the things of the world. Because they're always clamoring for our attention. Always. But in the midst of all this, God, in his amazing grace, the Holy Spirit working in us, gives us that love so that we can love 
him with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and how the Word, he integrates the Word into our lives and the Spirit works within us. I think it was um, Rick Renner who said, you know, just along with many others, just follow the peace. If you're so in love with God and so desiring to demonstrate your love for him, as the Spirit of God and the Word of God ministers to your heart, you do that and you follow the peace. If I find myself not in the peace of God, I need to find out what I did wrong. He didn't mess it up. Now, I'm going to be very candid with you. What if you're here and you don't care? Then I would humbly suggest, before this day is over, you ask the Holy Spirit of God to find out why you don't. And let his life be the life that he has for you. This is the greatest. The second is love your neighbor as you love yourself. So there's nothing wrong with loving ourselves, but we got to love our neighbors the same way. And the problem with that is we know, according to Paul's writing, that in the latter days, men will be lovers of self and lovers of pleasure, not lovers of the things of God. And their loving of self is not about this, but it's about what pleases me. Have you ever seen a time, for those of us who lived a few years, where people are so discontent? Like, if I can't get something else, if I can't go somewhere else, if I can't do something else, really? So young mothers call up on a stage a braver pastor than me, on a Sunday morning during the service, and the pastor looked at her and he said, this is unrehearsed. He said, are you a child of God? And she said, yes, I am. Do you love God? Very similar to what we're talking about. Yes, I do. Do you obey God? Well, yes, I do. Do you ever sin? Well, yes, I do. Well, here it is, it's 1130 on Sunday morning. Have you sinned today? Yes, I have. Well, what sin have you committed? Well, I don't know. And then he said, well, let me ask you another question. Have you committed acts of righteousness? And this young mother says, no, I haven't. And then he began to make something clear that was beneficial not just for her but for the whole audience he said if you're standing here before us and you cannot name a sin that you have say you have committed today then maybe you haven't if the holy spirit isn't convicting you then you are okay with that but what about acts of righteousness because we're told in john 16 that the holy spirit will also convict us of acts of righteousness And she says, I have none. He goes, oh, wait a minute. Aren't you a mother? Well, yes, I am. How old is your child? About a year. Where's your child now? Oh, in the church nursery. So you brought your child today to our church and placed your child in our nursery. Is that not an act of righteousness? 
Did you bring your child dirty? Of course not. So you bathe your child, you put clean clothes on your child. Is that not an act of righteousness? Well, of course it is. Well, did you bring your child hungry? Well, of course not. Is that not an act of righteousness? You see, that's why I started out with sometimes, and we don't mean to, uh, it's, it's our religious culture that we've got to somehow make some big thing happen that somehow that will be, make us so very precious to God when the truth of the matter is we're precious to God anyway. That's why I gave you son. And that's why we have life. And that's why that life is abundant and to be lived out every day. And as we live that life every day under this great command, we have also the great commission. He says, all authority. He's at the end of his earthly presence with his disciples. He is helping them now to make that transition into what it's going to be like as they do life after his ascension to heaven. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In other words, how is it you get to do what you get to do? Because I've given you authority, my authority, your authority. That's how this works. And then he says this, and I hope it can expand a little bit of our understanding of this verse. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The word go there in the original language, it literally means as you are going, as you are doing life. Whatever that life may be, whatever your location may be, whatever your vocation may be. It isn't because we're waiting for some great opportunity from God to give to us so we can make a big splash in the kingdom. No, it's, again, as Bill said earlier, it's those 10,000 little everyday decisions we make that draw us into that intimacy with him. And as we're doing that, we are a testimony to him, to others, wherever we may be. And by the way, first place it starts is at home with our mates and our families. Going through the life of doing dirty dishes, acts of righteousness. Thank God for dishwashers. Going through the life of doing laundry. I am so grateful to God for the wife that he's given me. So that when I walk into our home, and isn't that I don't help sometimes. I have gotten in trouble with this more than you guys can possibly imagine. Every time I help Sheila do something, and I have the audacity to mention it publicly, The wives go home and say, why don't you do what Steve does? I don't do it all the time. (laughs) Hallelujah. But I want to be able to, I want to be a help to her because she does so much. And when I come home from whatever it is that I've been going through and have this incredible sanctuary of peace and presence. And I mentioned to you, I had an unbeliever, a contractor walk into our home 
uh, several years ago, and he walked in. He goes, now, this is an unbeliever, and a guy that I've witnessed to several times, still didn't know Christ. He walked in and goes, man, this place is so peaceful. Well, guess what? If mom and dad are fighting like cats and dogs, it ain't going to be. And if the kids are running the show, it ain't going to be. I don't mean you lock them up in the closet and duct tape them. But as we're doing the love of God, his love in us being expressed to others, particularly with our families. But then as we go making disciples, and so we make disciples of our kids. And (laughs) we make disciples of those that God brings into our lives, even the lives of our children. That's important. I'm going to pick on you dads for just a moment. If your daughter's old enough to date, when that young man comes to pick her up, check him out. Find out who he is and what his intentions might be. You are the God-given person from God to accomplish that for your daughter. You know that I have couples come into my office to plan their wedding. And nobody in the family is even asking about their relationship with Christ. And again, I'm going to always pick on the dads. Because it's our responsibility. God says we're the spiritual leaders. Let's step it up. Well, you know, my wife, she kind of takes care of that stuff for us. No, she don't. She might be 10 times better than you are at it. But she is not the one that God gave the responsibility to. Now, thank God for a good helpmate. Absolutely. Let's step it up. Go and make disciples. We'll start where you are with your own children. Your friends, your family. I know they're the hardest. Because you know what the problem is? They know us. They know our idiosyncrasies. They know that we don't always demonstrate Christ's likeness. But baptizing them, emerging them, because it's a symbol of them having died to self and sin and being raised to walk in newness of life. And then that life being portrayed and putting off the old man and putting on the new man and revealing our Christ to our world which is so desperate. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. Now, this sharing of Christ, I have two people I want to pick on this morning. One I asked permission, the other I didn't. But I think it'd be okay. Sometimes, as you're sharing Christ with someone, it takes a while. Have you ever noticed that? Whatever the reason is, it just takes a while. Well, I asked Billy Roberts. Billy's my backdoor corner neighbor. And I couldn't tell you how many years I worked on Billy. By the way, Billy's one of our musicians. He's up here playing on his rotation on Sundays. Thank God for that. His family's here. Thank God for that. 
We built cars. We did all sorts of stuff together over the years. We'd be there at midnight, 2 o'clock in the morning, painting something, fixing something, welding something, putting something together so our kids would have transportation. And I'd be sharing Christ with Billy. And Billy, when I, I did ask his permission, he said, wonder why it takes some of us so long. And the answer is, I don't know. But some it does. But when you lovingly care for that person and God gives you an opportunity over a period of time to invest in their lives, just do it. And, and realize that God is also working through other people. You may not be the only one. In fact, you may not be the one who gets to harvest that person into the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit may have something totally different set up. And it's okay because it's the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Steve or somebody else. And then the other person, a little different scenario was Sean Campbell, who's also one of my musicians. I was at McDonald's in Richburg. How many years ago, Sean? Four, five, whatever, yeah. I'm meeting with a pastor from Lancaster. He, came, he comes up, we're get, they're getting coffee, chatting, and ministering to each other. And Sean walks in and goes over and sits down. And for those who don't know, Sean loves pancakes. So he goes over and sits down and starts eating these pancakes. And I tell the pastor, I said, God wants me to talk to that guy. And I'd met Sean because he'd done security for us with our fall festival, things like that. So it, I didn't know him, but I knew who he was. And so the pastor and I were finishing up because he had to go to work. And I went over and sat down with Sean and started talking. And God began to open the door. And I began to share. And then he had to go to work. But then later on he said, can I come out of your office so we can finish our conversation? Where he came to know Christ. And then his wife came to know Christ. Those were relatively quick. Compared to Billy, who took years. <laughs> Does it matter? They're both in the kingdom of God. Their families are in the kingdom of God. Does it matter? See, as we do this and, and we, we do it as he tells us to do it, it becomes such a supernatural, natural part of our lives that it works out every day. And we're so blessed by the whole thing. But let me just go to this last one, the great enabling, because this is where we get our help. Again, Jesus is instructing his men. He's getting ready to go. He wants to make sure they're in good hands. And he meets with them outside the city. And their question, you know, just to show you, just to show you their question. Now, this is before Acts 2. I jumped ahead a little bit a while ago. Lord, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? See, they're still waiting on that physical kingdom. They're still waiting on that ruler who's going to set them free from Roman domination. His response is, that's not for you to know. <laughs> you know, sometimes we're talking to God and he'll say, hey, none of your business. And I'm okay with that. Because there's some things that don't need to be my business. And I love what Different writers I've read over the years say, you know, when you're looking at somebody else, and we tend to do that, and we're saying, well, God, why can they get away with that kind of stuff, and I can't? And I have to go back to John 21, where Peter said of John, 
What about him? What's he going to do? Because Peter's just been restored. Go feed my sheep. Go feed my lambs. And Jesus said, ain't none of your business, Peter. Get about feeding the sheep and feeding the lambs and John take care of himself. It's not for you to know. That's all father stuff. That's why when I do funeral services and I start talking about eternity, I just tell people, I don't know the answers. I know it's real. I believe it with all my heart. How it's going to all work out, I do not know. In fact, tomorrow, my uh, last aunt on my dad's side passed away, 96 years old. I'll be taking part of her service tomorrow. And when I stand before people and I say, you know, this scripture says this is what's going to happen. I can't see that with my physical eyes. But oh, my spiritual eyes, I can believe that God's got this thing worked out. And he's going to make it all work for his glory and for his praise. Here we go. Here's your answer. But you receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. Has the Holy Spirit come upon you? If you've come to know Christ, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And he lives in you. And you shall be my witnesses. By the way, the word there is martyrs. You're going to give your life for my kingdom, however I choose. Here in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, in Samaria, and even to the most part, remotest parts of the earth. Remember the scripture? Go. Another way of saying that, as you are going, as you're doing life, as you're working, as you're doing commerce. And, and by, by that, I'm not telling you to steal from your employers and, and spend all that time. Uh, that has to be something that God has to show you how to work out. I, I remember a guy years ago who said, I just can't witness at work because they jump on me all the time. And come to find out, he was neglecting his job. And I, said, I told him, I said, well, guess what? They're right. You need to figure out with the Holy Spirit's help how to do this in a way that you're not stealing from your company. Because that's exactly what you're doing. But all this, wherever, wherever we go, wherever we go, we're his witnesses. We're the testimony of his life in us and how real it is. And that's why we do life differently. That's why our standards are higher. That's why our morals are different. That's why we have integrity. Because it is a work of God in each of us. Would you stand with me, please? Holy Father, this day of this new year is your day, like every day. We, those of us who are here, who have received that incredible gift of eternal life in you, Lord Christ, we're your kids. My prayer would be that if there is a person here today who does not know you, Lord Christ, as their personal Savior, that on this January the 1st, 2023, would be their birthday into the kingdom of God. Holy Spirit, you know how to work this. You know how to do it and do it well. We're believing you for it. But as we move into this year, let us be careful to love you, to love others. To obey you and witness for you and invest our lives in the lives of those that you place in our care 
We thank you for doing all this because we are your church, Lord Christ. You're the head. Holy Spirit, you're the power. In Jesus' name, amen.